Hello, everybody. I'm Bob Luz, President and CEO of the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, and I want to welcome you to Together We Win, the MRA podcast. So let's get going. Well, welcome, podcast world. Uh, And uh, let me be the first to say good riddance 2021 and gosh darn it, 2022. Boy, are you uh, a sight for sore eyes. Uh, It is so, so damn good to turn that calendar um, and get rid of 2021. Uh, I've never been happier uh, to do such a thing. I think we had the same conversation in January of 2021, though, coming off of 2020. So hopefully. Yeah, but I didn't really mean it then. Okay. Yeah. Right. It, it this was, time I mean it. It was the first take. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was, was a practice year. Yep. No, it was a practice year. It was a practice year. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, we really are happy to see it go this time. And, and uh, that I say uh, with with uh, with no question at all. Kerry, what, what did you did you have a big uh, uh, New Year's Eve? It must have been. Uh, you know what? Uh, this year we were blessed by the fact that we didn't have a sea of Brazilians show up at the Miller House for the full full month. So we had a relatively quiet, quiet New Year's Eve. As the wife and I got a couple of bottles of wine in front of the fireplace. Kids are home, so it's always a great time to engage with the kids. So Carrie's Carrie's wife, uh, Claudia, of course, uh, from Brazil, and and her family comes up all the time. It is a rauchous time of the year for Carrie usually. So. Um, but it, you know, good, good time. And no matter what, Steve, what about you guys? What'd you, what, what'd you do over in Ashland? We like to keep it relatively quiet. You know, we have the, the, a younger set of kids. So, you know, there was the college football playoffs. We didn't want to stray too far from there. We watched those games, had a nice dinner, had a couple people over. It's actually kind of a relaxing new year's. It's pretty nice. Well, that isn't that nice. Back that's to back. special. Wow. Wow. Well, I survived Christmas Eve, uh, with the Vincents, like we talked about last month, uh, uh, up in York, nothing was broken. Nobody was injured. There was no trips to the emergency room. That's always important. Um, so that was good. Uh, and, you know, uh, I had a relatively quiet, uh, Ann and I had a relatively quiet uh, New Year's because uh, on January 2nd, I had the pleasure of attending the Patriots-Jacksonville game uh, at Foxborough with our esteemed leader, Chair Denise Herrera. Uh, she and I and uh, Brian Oglesby, one of our board members from PR management, uh, went to the game and had a terrific time and, and really enjoyed it. And, uh, and then I followed that up with a trip down to Miami for the, uh, for the uh, Patriots-Dolphins finale. So I'll tell you, you know, uh, everybody had this season as a, uh, as a write-off. Uh, but, boy, uh, uh, it's been a it's been a good run, and uh, we'll see what happens here as we go forward. It's uh, it's 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 been a nice uh, nice turnaround for the boys. You've yeah. really given your guests something to think about on your lightning lightning round question of Brady versus Belichick. Uh, uh, Belichick has really uh, brought himself back into the conversation from from the earlier times of this podcast. And I'd like to reflect back to our August August podcast where I really canvassed heavily to get rid of Cam Newton, which happened, and and thank I- God for that. Kerry, I think, you know, uh, quite clearly, uh, Josh McDaniels, Bill Belichick paid attention to that podcast episode, uh, took it to heart, and uh, did the right thing. Well, we do know that they're listeners, so this is a good thing. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, you know, look, we, we, we have turned the, the calendar. We have turned the page. It is going to be a terrific season, and I think we can all say that uh, without question. And, um, you know, we're excited for this new year, and with this new year brings new broadcast and 
uh, and new guest. And so let's let's not for, delay any further. Steve, tell me a little bit about uh, who you've brought to the show today and, and, and what they're all about. We have Boston operator Doug Bacon has a number of uh, restaurants throughout the uh, city of Boston. And, and Boston is uh, Boston. Doug is very political. And in 2022 is a very political year. We have uh, new elections happening, a lot of different races happening. And, and Doug will get into, you know, how he stays politically involved, what he sees in Boston and really talk about his industry. Doug Bacon is uh, someone that's been so prevalent and, and so uh, front-facing during the past 20 months. And, you know, he's been a great voice for the restaurant community, not only in Boston, but across this entire Commonwealth. And uh, he, he's a, a terrific person and, of course, uh, represents one of the major food groups, Bacon, as well. He also has a great voice for radio. So he, you know, there may be some challenges on the podcast after we have him on there. He may try to get in there. He does, no question about Which it. Which is a, a great option. Kerry Miller. Uh, so look, here at the MRA, we try to be on the cutting edge of what's happening as far as technology goes. What's the new cutting edge things that are happening out there? I'm blessed to have Travis Rafferty from uh, Captain POS on today. Captain is taking POS to the next level where he's working on a platform which bring your own device which means there's like zero cost on as far as hardware to get started. Uh, there's the opportunity for servers to use their own phones. I know it's controversial. We've had multiple conversations about it already, but I think Travis is going to be a great person to talk about what the future holds for point-of-sale systems. I love when Kerry says, bring your own device. It, it conjures up memories or thoughts that I can't talk about on a podcast, and thank God and anybody could see me blushing right now. BYOD. BYOD, yeah. Uh, well, listen, uh, my first guest is uh, very well known. She was uh, born and raised in an island off of Washington State, uh, naturally decided to go to the University of Vermont. Uh, Post-graduation, she traveled all across Europe where she honed her food and beverage skills, and she's now um, a, a beloved uh, free spirit, TV personality, food writer, chef who can currently be seen regularly on NBC 10 and uh, certainly uh, the show Hub Today. Anna Rossi, there is no other. Anna, welcome to the show. Uh, it's so great to have you here. So Anna, thank you again for being here. I, I truly appreciate it. You know, um, you know, we'll talk about a few things here, uh, but you know, first off the top of the, uh, top of the bat here, you know, I want to thank you for, you know, compassionately covering our industry, especially during uh, these past 21, 22 months now um, that uh, we've been sort of under siege and, and making sure that you always paint us in the right light. It really means a lot to myself and, and certainly all the operators uh, across Massachusetts. So thank you so mm. much for that. Oh, well, thank you, Bob. And thank you for all the effort that you do daily to uh, be the glue to connect everybody. It's um, there's just so much heart in the industry. Um, it, it's one that deserves the love for sure. Well, thank you, thank you. And I noticed, by the way, 802. Uh, and I, as I said <laughs> in my intro, you know, University of Vermont. But you you still have that Vermont tie. You haven't get, given up on the Vermont phone number exchange. I always see that. I, well, they invented the cell phone when I was in college, <laughs> and then enough people had my number. What was I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. I, I love it. I love it. Don't hold it against me. Of course Vermont, not. Vermonters are good people. <laughs> Vermont is good people. Um, so, and you know, I, 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 I am excited. So you and uh, your husband, AJ, and, and again, 
you know, I've, I've gotten to know your husband, AJ, because I follow you on Instagram. And yeah. you guys are so great on that. We'll talk about that in a second. But I love the fact that you met at Daisy Buchanan's. Oh. Like, of all the spots <laughs> in Massachusetts, right? Um, Daisy Buchanan's is such a classic. And you guys met there and fell in love and got married. Right. I, I went out that night determined to meet husband material, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I don't think you were the only ones that that, that are, uh, are married from an, uh, a meetup at uh, Daisy Buchanan's. I, I think there yeah, were I a few. Uh, Daisy's and I think Sail Loft also has a the few. The Sail Loft, if not tipping, yes. successful marriages, at least babies yes, that yes. have come from it. Yes, <laughs> yes, there you go. Good. There you go. No yeah. question about it. Well, uh, you know, look, uh, when I... Uh, when I turned 50, my wife got a bus and 50 of my friends, and we went to three of my favorite haunts from early in life just to relive the moments. And yes, Daisy Buchanan's was amongst them, and we uh, we had a terrific time there. And I, I lament its passing all the I time. Know. All the I time. know. Well, how wonderful you could at least uh, tie one on one last time. That's right. That's doors. right. That's right. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, you, AJ, the kids, Instagram. Um, the outdoor kitchen, um, you know, it is just such a fun time when I see those uh, posts and follow everything. And, and you guys have such a passion for cooking and for sourcing local ingredients. Tell me a little bit about life up there in the North Shore and, and all that yeah. you do. Oh, Bob, thanks. I'm so tickled that that comes across on Instagram because it's it's the truth. Um and you know, well, our big, our big, uh, well, we have an old house that just needed a lot of love. It's, you know, it's an endless project and we shifted things around over COVID and decided to tackle the outdoor kitchen because we were all doing so much more living outdoors just mm -hmm. to stay remotely social. And, um, it's been just, it's changed the way that we've connected, uh, as a family with the seasons and so much of our food story, just being, being outside more and mm -hmm. being, um, being a part of that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the kids, it's such a pleasure to share our passion and love for food and sourcing with Max and Charlotte who are eight and six. And, um, really bring them into the fold of the things that we love that are activities for us on the weekends. And, you know, like from clamming to um, going tomato picking at Appleton Farm to uh, raising chickens in our backyard and um, our little victory garden. And, um, and, you know, even if, even if they're, uh, a little hesitant at first to try certain foods, the joy that they have in associating it with us and time together as a family is I can see being imprinted on them. And it's really motivating <laughs> for yeah. AJ and I. So yeah, it's, it's really exciting. We speak food at the house. So it's nice that we have little foodies that uh humor us anyway well, for sure they they love it and they are an active part of it and it's it is so genuine and fun and i really uh i do enjoy them and i and i say that uh, truthfully you 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 will see that i like everything that you uh <laughs> yeah, put up there so uh, <laughs> um uh, so you know 
Look, it's uh, as we talk about you a little bit uh, more, it's impossible not to go back 10 years ago, right, to uh, Fox Network, MasterChef Season 3. Um, you both were on there. Um, but, um, you know, tell me a little bit about what that did for you. Not, not what that was like, but what did it do for you? How did it open up doors for, you know, life after uh, Season yeah. 3? Oh, it was it was a, a gift that opportunity because I um, at the well I had come from a background in sociology and theater for a natural a natural chef. There you go, sociology and theater, <laughs> right? And then I went into radio sales and had you know this um, foundation of that was really like a, a graduate program in business basically for greater media. It was amazing just in terms of learning the landscape of the community that we live in. And then, um, but my passion especially got amplified when I met AJ. I always loved cooking and taught myself how to cook when I was in college. I rented a room for my theater professor whose uh, partner was a French trained chef. And uh, with AJ, if you have met the man, it's impossible, like you're going to be hungry uh, or sick of food, whether, <laughs> you know, whatever way you go after a conversation with him. He's just, there's just so much love that he has for sharing um, his passion for food with people. And so it was just, I knew it was the space that I wanted to be in, but I needed something to give me street credibility as a home cook, and which is what MasterChef is designed to do, to celebrate the best home cooks in America. And um, the funny thing is, we, you know, we, we were both cast, but I signed AJ up because I knew he was going to be bored waiting for me um, <laughs> while I went in to do that audition. And of course- So I he didn't know thought, that you signed him up. Well, he was on board, but wasn't going to lift a finger to like do the application, <laughs> which was extensive. And then when Fox figured out that we were married, the walkie talkies started flying, you know, through the, the line. Like we have a married couple, you know, we got to bump them to the front of the line. So they, they definitely had some fun with that angle because we were the first married couple to put our marriage on the line, uh, to go head to head to see who was the best cook. So, um, it was anyway, it was um, getting onto the show as you know, you work in the industry with so many top talented chefs that have um, competed on Top Chef or Chopped or you, you get your house yeah. kitchen. It can, it can go either way. And so it was um, you realize that you've like put your um, integrity potentially on on the line and dignity. Um, and Fortunately, it was a good edit, um, and what it did was give me um, credibility to come back to this market and say, "Well, Gordon Ramsay and Joe Bassianich liked my pizza. Mm -hmm. I, I really um, am serious about this." And um, and then and then what do you do with it? Like you know, it's a lot of exposure, and it's up to the individual to decide what 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 to do with it. I mean, it's there to be had. It's it's just deciding how you're going to direct it. And um and it's been really exciting little by little creating a career that I'm just very 
passionate about. Um, you know, the work that I do with NBC and the Hub today mm-hmm. is really exciting for me because I'm tasked to spotlight the good stories that uh, the people that enhance the culture and the fabric of our community. And um, you know, I was brought on when we were still co-produced out of New York. And they wanted boots on the ground in the food space to immediately localize us. So um, so it was exciting for me to start to strengthen the the muscles in the food space that I have always wanted to strengthen. And um and and then, you know, and and then also pulling in my sales background too, to be able to be a brand ambassador and seek out brands and products that I love in the food space and then to help share my enthusiasm and their product messages has been also a really great dovetail into like a, you know, a bigger portfolio. So, um, so, you know, I try to, there's a lot that um, feeds me creatively in, in a space that all directions point back to the table, Mm -hmm. which is, which has been my goal and my dream. So it's, it's pretty awesome. And I, I mean, Gordon Ramsay's crazy. Gordon <laughs> so Ramsay's like, crazy. Yeah, we don't can say need that. to do another reality show. My, yeah. One of my producers is like, oh, you should, you know, you should audition for this or you should audition for that. But I, I really feel like ah. I kind of dodged a, uh, you know, I, I got a good edit. I, I got what I needed from it. And um, yeah, you don't really need to relive baseball. that. You don't need to relive that moment over again, right? Yeah. I, no, that's in the rearview mirror. Let's look forward for crying out loud. Yeah. The front windshield. So, no, I hey, look. I think you've done a terrific job at Channel Ten, NBC Ten, and uh, Hub Today, and and you got so many fans that uh, have really, um, you know, that I think follow you and that 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 hang on that station and and hang on Hub Today and and look forward to seeing your segments and and that's a testament to you. But you know. Uh, that was a whole new startup. I mean, look, I mean, a whole new network was born overnight there in uh, in Newton, right? I mean, so how, how was that? How did that go? And, you know, because that was really a difficult handoff uh, from, from the prior ownership, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it's just, it, you know, we we are, you know, a city rich in tradition, right? Mm-hmm. So new things um, are can be difficult sometimes. Um, but it would, like, uh fortunately so much of my work was in the field where that was where my world was in the community mm-hmm. which is what i really love um and thrive and feed on and then and even like over covid how we all um how we all pivoted and we launched pivoted. the chef's pantry as a way to keep the names of yes. restaurants and chefs in the light and as we were all spending more time in the kitchen and um you know taking that opportunity to really um come together and that's been exciting too to see you to stay in the creative space and let things evolve because i think over covid i had almost 80 chefs as guests it was incredible it was incredible it was amazing yeah it was like and we're in the process of I'm teaching myself InDesign, so I apologize because I have a cookbook that I'm giving you, Bob. Uh, I know for the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, but I'm ter- I'm terribly slow at graphic design. 
We can help you on that. We'll ta- we'll take care of that <laughs> offline. Christine can help you. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, no, I you, that series um, during the you know really the the depths of the the whole thing. I made sure I taped them. I saw them all. It was just terrific, and it was fun, and it was exciting. But it made it helped us all get through just a terrible time at a time when everybody was cooking at home. And so talk about being relevant at that point. Uh, right. It was perfect. It was perfect. There, well, the, the, I mean, the level of yeah. talent is amazing, isn't it, in our city? And also I think the generosity of the chefs to share their expertise yeah. um, was no, I mean, look, really I mean, We were humbling. at the, not to lament it, but we were at the top of the you know, gastronomic, uh, culinary world, I think, um, in the greater Boston area when this thing hit. And, you know, that, that's, you know, one of the terrible things because we, we just exploded in the last 10 years onto that scene nationally and internationally. Um, and we were a destination everywhere and we have some of the best talent here ever, and we still do, and we will recover and we're getting through it and you're helping us through it. And, and you brought it into our, into our homes during that time. So, and the other thing you did, and I'm not going to let this moment pass. Um, you were an incredible host for our telethon back in May of 2020, uh, along with, um, you know, our friend um, Greg Hill, uh, Boston uh, uh, Restaurant Strong, and and the terrific yeah. team over at Sam Adams. Um, and that was sort of an idea that was hatched. Um, and NBC10, uh, uh, Anna Rossi, J.P. Fiello on our side, um, you know, worked tremendously hard and everybody sort of, you know, scratched their head and said, how can a virtual thing do anything? Who's going to watch it? And you know what? A lot of people watched it. We promoted it. You promoted it. A lot of people watched it. And in two hours, we reached almost $120,000 to help the the uh, workers in our industry that, uh, I mean, and you were, you were yeah. the pinnacle of all that. I mean, you were at the I, middle of that. Yeah, I, I, oh, well, you're too kind. There was so much synergy that night and leading up to that night. And I still get the goosebumps thinking about that because, um, you know, in hindsight, how many, how many dozens of virtual right. events had we been invited to over all the whole COVID, but that, that mm-hmm. was new when we did it, it, we were pioneering even technology, like the, the StreamYard right. platform and how we, um, how we, figured out how to run it live through Facebook. I mean, the whole thing was um, just... No, it was incredible. It was incredible. For two hours? Trade. It was and like, we were, we were, trade right. also should get... We were in a, a restaurant. For their wife. Um, God love Eric Papa Christos and, uh, and Jody Adams. We were in their yeah. home and they opened it up for us. And um, you were in one room, Greg was in another, I was in another, Greg and I kind of hung out together. We weren't supposed to, but we did. Uh, And yeah, but it just worked out great. And (laughs) to your point, we brought all these different pieces in and out and it went off without a glitch. It was a huge success. And so much of that was on you. And and the energy you brought to that night, I think really uh, helped us make it so successful. Thanks. It was truly an honor to be a part of that. And, yeah, um, no, and such a deserving uh, cause. yeah, we actually just had an event in, um, 
in uh, Nove in Nove uh, November, uh, at the end of November, where we, we did honor some people, uh, restaurateurs that did some great things to, because of the philanthropic nature that is, you know, and that's what you're talking about. Our, our chefs and owners are so willing to give, right? Um, and uh, we yeah. we did honor Greg Hill and um, uh, Sam Adams for Restaurant Strong, which uh, to date is at $17 million and growing in terms of grants to this industry. It's really been incredible. So, wow. Yeah, wow. but you were there at the beginning of it. And, and so we'll go back to your product, co-branding. You, you are the goddess of olive oil, right? Uh, Olivio, right? Isn't that one of the products that you... <laughs> so that was... So I, I'm good friends with the oh. company, but I no longer have them officially in my portfolio. But they were huge for me. They were actually one of my first clients in radio sales. Um, they bought time on Lauren and Wally. And I was their account representative. And then after MasterChef, they're like, they're, they're, we loved working with you. There must be something we could do together. And um, they were really the um, the account that allowed me to jump into, in, you know, doing the work I basically Perfect. do now full time, which is really, you know, dear to my heart. I do uh, a lot of work with fire magic yes. um i which is a grill company um and i'm their no better band, their brand, brand ambassador, ambassador than uh, with their beautiful <laughs> thanks they're, they're, i had to put on a santa or well yeah like they've got me on their christmas cards and it's pretty fun i it doesn't take much to get me to <laughs> swing a porchetta over my shoulder um it comes off the rotisserie um and then and then just a variety of different national um brands and it's it's fun i i do like being in a position where i can approach people who i really think do good work and you know and um you know start conversation that yeah, way no, i think it's, I, um, I think i mean that's a terrific part of what you do as well and and again as i'm sitting here right now i i just looked at instagram and i see today's post from you it's about soft goat cheese and grassy uh, extra vir virgin olive oil, crushed garlic, yeah. Aleppo pepper, fresh chive and thyme, and of course a lot of citrus zest, and uh, put it all in the refrigerator, let it let it come out and sit for thirty minutes. I love picking up these hints from you. It's just uh, it's. <laughs> You'd like the hot, the hot date, date with a nut. nut too, the Bob. Hot date with I just nut. did there that in my last. All right. Show. <laughs> well, listen. Um, uh, it's time now to get to the lightning round. I know you've been looking forward to it since we started. The nine questions that I ask every guest <laughs> before we leave. Uh, it is brought to us by our friends from Sprague Energy. Sprague Energy's been uh, working with restaurants and, and food and beverage operations across Massachusetts uh, for so many years to lower their energy costs. Energy costs are as you know, Anna, very high in the restaurant industry, and these guys do a terrific job of helping our uh, our, our restaurants out. So uh, we do appreciate our friends at uh, Sprague Energy. And, and here we go with the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one, Seinfeld, Modern Family or The Office? The Office. The Office. All right. Local John Krasinski. Uh, it's Saturday morning, nothing on your schedule at all. What are we going to find you doing? Oh, I'm going to be at Crane Beach on a five-mile walk. Regardless of season? Oh, winter walks are the best. Oh, there you go. There you go. Question number three, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? Tom Brady. 
Tom Brady. You say that like it's a it's a absolute given. All right. Okay. Oh, he's so handsome. That Florida didn't change his good looks. Oh, so it's 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 the looks thing. And so you say Bill Belichick, <laughs> a little ageism in there, maybe. All right. Um, I of course would never ask your favorite restaurant because like me, you can't have, you don't have any favorites. I know that. But Great. what's what's your favorite genre of restaurant? What type of restaurant do you like when you guys go out? Oh, that's a great question. I would say anything that serves small plates. Um, and I mean, to, sort of in this. So you guys of, can sample a lot of different things, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like to share. I like um, kind of, and I, and I do really love uh, Mediterranean and also um, like with like, you know, Turkish and Lebanese kind of flavor profile as well. Beautiful. Springsteen, Madonna, The Weekend, or Carrie Underwood? Springsteen. Oh, there's so many reasons I love you, Anna Rossi. Springsteen. <laughs> I have been to 59 concerts, and I'm what? and and to New York to see to see the show. Which, by the way, if he does it again, go see it. If you haven't, uh, medium rare, medium well, or vegetarian? Chef's choice. Chef's choice, even better. Okay, Julia Child. Ming Tsai, Rachel Ray, or Gordon Ramsay? <laughs> Julia Child. And I know that's a loaded question. <laughs> that's the same one I ask everybody. All right. Oh, uh, local flavors, a fribble, Twinkie, table talk pie, or Fluffernutter? <laughs> I don't even know anything but Fluffernutter. I mean, I know the Twinkie, but I wouldn't eat any, I don't know. <laughs> None of the above. <laughs> <laughs> None of the above. All right. Oh my God. Final question. What team is most likely to be on a duck tour through the streets of Boston next? Oh, gosh. What is going on with our sports season? We've had a lot over the years. Would it be I the Bruins? She says the Bruins. She's going with the Bruins. All right. They've they've been off to a pretty good start, but they've you know they need to pick up yeah. some steam here in the second half of the season. Yeah. All right. All yeah. right. Well, we'll go with that. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, Anna, listen. <laughs> On that note, you're fun. Yeah. Uh, you know the best the best answer you gave me was Springsteen because you know JP. When I first thought of that question, JP Fiella says Springsteen. Who? I said, hey, Springsteen's on every list. So, uh, yeah. What are people going to say? The weekend? The weekend. Come on. All right. <laughs> I'm teasing. I love um, the weekend, they, actually, too. I do, too. Uh, no, those are good questions. Thank you. Some made me a little more squirmy than others. <laughs> well, I didn't <laughs> want to make you squirmy. Anna, thank you again for spending time with us this morning here on Together We Win. And, and again, thank you for doing everything you do uh, to promote our industry and to keep it uh, relevant. And, and uh, thank you for being the talent you are on uh, Channel 10 and Hub Today. It's really my pleasure. Thank you so much, Bob. Let's grab a drink or dinner sometime soon. Sounds great. You be well. Okay. Okay, you too. Bye. I'm Steve Clark, Vice President of Government Affairs for the Mass Restaurant Association. And this is live with From the Hill. And we're back on the MRA podcast. Together we win. Today we are joined by Doug Bacon of Red Paint Hospitality. Doug, thanks for calling us. Happy to be with you. Appreciate it. Uh, we know that uh, Doug and I work very closely together at the MRA. We do a lot of legislative work. Uh, we do a lot of uh, communication. And, you know, just, just knowing Doug and, and seeing him operate in the industry uh, is really a joy. 
Uh, Doug, talk a little bit about uh, how you came into the industry, uh, how you came to own the places that you own, and uh, a little bit about your backstory. Sure. Uh, my first job in the restaurant industry was as a dishwasher when I was in high school. And before I finished high school, I had worked my way up to becoming a waiter in a, re- in a local restaurant. And that was the beginning. And I, I came to Boston to attend Boston University and had multiple jobs in the industry from busboy to waiter, bartender, and server. Tried a couple of uh, jobs outside of the industry, which weren't really great for me. Uh, So I found myself working as a bartender again. And around that time, this was when I was about 29 years old, a friend of mine opened a neighborhood bar and did quite well. And I decided I wanted to try and put together my own place. And I was able to put together a deal to buy the what is now the last drop in Oak Square in 1990. And I was lucky enough to be successful there with a lot of help from family and friends. And uh, a couple of years later, I opened a second place. And since then, I have opened a total of eight locations, all in Boston. And I'm primarily in the neighborhood bar and restaurant business. Um, All of my locations are open late. And we do a lively business in our bar areas. And one is just a neighborhood bar. That's the last drop in Brighton. All of the rest are full-service restaurants. And uh, I feel like I'm very fortunate to be doing business in Boston. I mean, Boston's a great city to be operating in. And we talk about, uh, the, the, you know, the different aspects of the city. It's, it's interesting. You operate in a couple of different neighborhoods. How, what's the difference of those, na- you know, Boston is one city, but with, a, with unique a charm in each of the neighborhoods. What are the, some of the different neighborhoods that you're seeing? And, you know, how is the recovery different in certain neighborhoods of Boston versus others? Yes, sure. So five of my locations are in Alston and Brighton. I have one in the back bay one in Kenmore Square, and one in the Fenway area. So some of my neighborhood places have recovered, and we're doing very close to or the same level of business that we did pre-pandemic. And what I've found is that people who are who uh, young people, primarily 21 to 30-year-olds are my primary clientele, but we serve, of course, a, an array of different demographics. Um, but what we've found is people are much more appreciative and grateful for a neighborhood meeting place. Uh, some people would call it a third place that's not work and not home. But losing the ability to go out to a neighborhood restaurant or pub for those two or three months at the beginning of the pandemic, I think has made people much more grateful to have places like mine where they can socialize with their neighbors and meet friends and just go out for an inexpensive meal or drink when they don't feel like cooking. Now, on the flip side of that, I have a couple of locations that are very dependent on performance venues, uh, Fenway Park, uh, Huntington Theater, and Symphony Hall. So those locations are still struggling, and we've had dramatically lower business and customer accounts and sales. So it's, it's still a struggle in many areas in Boston, the downtown area. 
has been suffering. I don't have any locations in those areas, but anywhere near performance venues or sports stadiums has really uh, suffered since uh, you know the pandemic has has started to wane. But we're not a long way from normal at this point. Yeah, totally. We have, I mean, we have day to day, we have conversations uh, with the media and with elected officials about, you know, where is the recovery happening? And, and, you know, it really is dependent. It's neighborhood dependent. It's concept dependent. It's, there's a lot of other factors going into, uh, to the recovery. And, it, you know, the last couple of months, unfortunately, it seems we've kind of uh, recovered in reverse. Uh, and, and, and you've outlined that by just, uh, you know, a couple of locations that are, you know, three or four miles apart, maybe five miles apart. And they are, it's two, it's, it's tales of two different recoveries. And, and, you know, that's playing out across the Commonwealth and really across the country in a lot of states with uh, depending on, you know, whatever factors and, and why you built your business there is how, how, how you've been able to come back. Uh, it's, it's really been, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it'll be a fascinating analysis in a couple of years when we look at the restaurant industry of, of, of how it changed and how it evolved and, and, and all these factors are there. Um, you know, what are some of the other challenges you're seeing um, out there uh, as, as we look at the recovery? Uh, we talk about uh, location-specific, relying on, uh, on other workers coming in or, or other events. Uh, what are the challenges are you seeing right now? Sure. Two of the biggest challenges that we're seeing, and these are universal to all of my locations, are still very difficult to hire enough staff um, we have not been able to recover the level of, of staffing that we used to have. I still have locations that are not able to fully open because we just don't have enough people. Um, so the labor shortage is universal and it's especially acute for the restaurant industry. But from what I've heard, it's, it's the same everywhere. All of hospitality is suffering from that as well as retail. And then the other challenge that's dramatic and is specific to our industry is the cost of commodities has continued to go up dramatically, especially beef recently, uh, poultry, eggs, dairy. Everything has gone up, and we have raised our prices, and we're looking at doing it again, and we're trying to manage it uh, to not price ourselves out of the markets we're in. But the cost of labor is also very difficult and the minimum wage is going up again January 1st. Um, so labor and cost of commodities are the two real challenges that we're seeing right now that's universal to everywhere. And, and we're not sure what the customer's price point is. You know, to date, customers have been receptive to to menu increases, but the cost of living is actually going up for customers. And, you know, the, the gas, whether it's the gas in their car or their grocery store or... Uh, you know, whatever they're doing, their day to day, you know, ultimately there's going to be a there's going to be a tipping point. Uh, I, I saw an article recently that uh, the savings that U.S. customers had built up uh, during the pandemic has actually uh, started to to whittle a little bit, and so people were sitting on some money because they didn't travel, they didn't get together, but you know they've been, they've been doing that, and so eventually there is a there's a tipping point where customers are going to say. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to do that, or or you know, that's I'm going to do it less. And so I, I think that's something that's on the back of the mind of of a lot of operators uh, heading into the new year. For sure, that that is something I think about every day. And we don't just compete with other restaurants. I, I'm in the full service restaurant business. I do offer takeout and delivery, but 
the the biggest part of my business is people coming in and eating and drinking inside my four walls. So I'm not just competing with other restaurants. I'm competing with quick service, fast food places, and I'm comp- also competing with grocery stores and people cooking at home. So it's a challenge that I worry about. When we raise our menu prices, I worry that the customers will come less frequently or stop showing up at all because it's, you know, we've, we've become more expensive than they're used to. And, and, and there's, there's only one source of revenue in the restaurant industry. It's, it's, it's the meal that's being sold. And so, you know, it's hard, you know, other industries are able to uh, offset those costs other ways, but you know, we're, we're, we're unique in that way. So uh, it's, it's definitely something uh, concerning. Uh, you know, you've talked about, um, oh, I mentioned at the beginning and we've, we've worked together that, you know, you've been involved, you know, legislatively and, and you, you talk to elected officials, you, you testify at public hearings, uh, you, you really get uh, down to the nitty gritty of some of the impacts that, that uh, are affected in the restaurant industry. Uh, can you tell us, what, like, you know, why do you think it's important to get involved legislatively and, and you know, what advice you'd offer to people that, that aspire to do that? Absolutely. It's, it's super important to be engaged and in, t- in contact with our elected officials. And the biggest reason is because many of our elected officials uh, have not worked in the restaurant industry. And of course, they've all been to restaurants and they hear about how we operate. But in reality, they don't have a, have a fully, uh, they don't have a great understanding of every part of our business. And in some cases, legislation and regulation comes in front of our leaders and our elected officials, and they're making judgments and determinations and laws about our business that are not fully thought out and well-considered. And so in many cases, I've talked to legislators and leaders and elected officials and talked to them about some of the challenges in our business, and they and they you know, will be happy to hear from us and, and try to understand our businesses. And in many cases, they've told me that they had no idea about certain challenges that we've faced. And a couple of examples of that would be when the pandemic started, um, many of us had inability to pay our rent to our landlords, you know, for a short period of time before any of the government programs kicked in. And, and we had landlords who were threatening to cancel our lease and terminate our lease. Um, and we got a little help from the government with uh, very clear orders that, um, you know, it, it, the government made it very, very difficult to terminate anyone's lease. And that's just one example. The other thing, obviously, is minimum wage increases, further regulation, um, the cost of processing credit cards, and there's, there's a litany of issues, but it's very important for all of us in the industry to stay in touch with our elected officials and make sure that they have an opportunity to understand all the issues that we face on a daily basis. We always talk about uh, elected officials and guests are kind of the same. They're all in the restaurant at Friday night at seven o'clock and they see that it's busy and shocking that they want to eat at the same time as everybody else. They don't think about the restaurant operator on Wednesday morning at, at 10 o'clock when the, when the toilet is broken or, you know, the other issues that are out there. They, they're in the restaurant and their initial reaction is, oh, I see a lot of people at a busy mealtime. Uh, you know, it, it, it must be doing well. And so, you know, it's really important to, to have those conversations and, and having, inviting legis- legislators and, and electeds into our restaurants, not at those busy times. 
so they, they can meet our employees and understand more about the business because they're looking at it from the outside in and, and they're, they're generally, um, you know, they have a lot of issues on a, on a lot of different things. And, and we can't expect them to be experts on the restaurant industry, but we can try to get them there and, and understand the impacts of uh, some, of the, some of their decisions. Absolutely true. And, and one of the things I try to remind our elected officials about is the restaurant industry offers an opportunity to anyone who's willing to work can start out in one of my restaurants with no skills at all. And we are happy to train them and provide them with an opportunity to move up. I've had people who started working for me as a bus, bus person or a door person who has moved up and over the course of several years has moved up at, to a, become a server, a bartender, a manager, and had, have great success and make a great income and have a lot of fun working on our business. And, and that's something that's not the case in every industry in Massachusetts. We could take unskilled people, and if they're willing to work, we could show them how to have a great career and a good income. Absolutely. That's what, that's one of the best parts of the, of the restaurant industry uh, from my perspective. And, you know, I, I've, I've heard you speak passionately about, you know, tipped income in the industry and, you know, how valuable it is to employees. Uh, talk about some of your tipped employees and, and what they've been able to do and what they've been able to accomplish by, by making tips uh, in the restaurant industry. I'm glad you asked because, as you know, I'm very passionate about this issue. And I spent a lot of time working myself for tips. And anyone who who likes working with people and enjoys delivering service and hospitality has put the potential to make a great income and earn money in tips. Now, it, it really goes to the heart of our system where if you work hard and you're willing to put in the effort, it comes back to you and you can make a better income. So our system where customers tip based on the cost of their meal and their drinks, the harder you work, the more money you can potentially make. And recently, because of the business conditions, we are somewhat understaffed. So in some cases, my servers and bartenders are handling more customers and larger stations and more tables than they would normally handle. But I've had many servers and bartenders who are earning 40, 50, and even more dollars an hour, 40 or $50 an hour on a regular basis, weekly. And they have the potential to make a great income when it's busy. Sure, there's a few slow nights here and there where they don't quite make as much. But at the end of the week, uh, on a regular basis, I have servers and bartenders who are making fifteen and $1,800 a week. And that's a great income. The other thing that goes with working in our industry is a little bit of flexibility on the schedule is is very common thing in our industry. Because we're open days and nights and seven days a week, we have the ability to offer people flexibility. And if they have kids at home or a parent who needs to be cared for, we can adjust our schedule and allow them to work when they're able to. And that's another great thing about the hospitality industry. But working for tips is something that I think is a great part of our industry. And it offers people who are willing to work hard and learn the system to make a great income. And I think it's the only job that's out there where you can have or an un, only hourly job where you can earn unlimited money. You know, there is, there is no cap on what you're going to bring in. And as you talk about the, the increased costs and everything that's happening, the amount that gets tipped is, is, is goes up because the menu goes up and people ultimately tip on the menu price. So all these uh, increased costs 
while detrimental to the restaurant are probably ending up uh, in the in the server employee's pocket because people are tipping more. That's true, Steve. And the other thing that I've I've seen is the average tip by our guests has gone up. Pre-pandemic, I had m- one location that I looked closely at where the average tip was right around 20% on all of our sales over the course of a year. Now, I see servers are averaging 22%. So I do believe that the general public feels like they want to be more generous and they're opening up their wallets a little bit more and they're tipping a little bit more. That's great. That's, that's, that's great to see. And we want to see that continuing uh, in, in 2022. Doug Bacon, Red Paint Hospitality. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure talking to you and uh, good luck in the new year and uh, encourage everyone to go out and check out one of his eight locations across the city. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Doug. Talk to you soon. This is Kerry Miller, the Vice President of Operations for the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, and this is What's Next. This is Kerry Miller, and this is What's Next. My guest on What's Next today is Travis Rafferty. Travis is the founder and CEO of Captain Point of Sale Systems. Uh, It's a very early on Worcester startup that's uh, leveraging Bring your own device technology to the next stage of point of sale systems and what the world will look like in the future, we hope. Right, Travis? Absolutely. And uh, thank you for having me on today. I really uh, appreciate it. You know, it's absolutely my pleasure. I think that's, that's what's great about the, uh, our opportunity in this podcast is we can take people that are from developed uh, technologies, right, down to the, down to the folks that were I, – I remember me, Bob Luz and I meeting the Toast POS guys back when they had seven employees like nine years ago. Right. That, that is pretty similar to where we are today. I'll tell you that. I, I hope we'll be half as successful as, as those guys. I want to be able to say, have this tell the same story about Toast that I'm t- uh, the, today that I, in the future for you. So, so tell me, tell me, uh, tell me a little about yourself, Travis. And I know, I know that you didn't start off on the path to become a uh, technology entrepreneur, and you you had a, you had on a, on a track to be you know you had a, you were a lawyer. You're going to have a career in law, and all of a sudden you decided to, to blow that up and uh, become uh, an entrepreneur in tech. So tell me how you got there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was definitely an interesting journey. Um, my first job, believe it or not, I was a dishwasher at my uncle's restaurant uh, in Worcester, Mass. And, um, you know, very young, first job. And I kind of stayed in the restaurant industry, um, basically just to keep a little bit of change in my pocket as I went through college at UMass and then I went down to law school at UNC. And while I was at UMass, um, I was visiting Forrest Gump restaurant in Florida. And as a server, um, you know how important it is to really get that 20% tip. And the key to that is to not um, ignore your table, but also not pester them. And at this restaurant, they had this wonderful little idea where um, they had two license plates, run, force, run, and stop, force, stop. And depending on how that was flipped, your server would know whether to come to your table or not. And I said, oh my God, you know, just enhancing the communication between the restaurant staff and the customer in such a small way had such a wonderful impact for both parties. And that idea, um, you know, kind of hit me. That visit was in 2014. I didn't go to law school really until 2016. Um, and then in law school, you know, I had to be honest with myself uh, about 
what I wanted to do for the next 30 years of my life. And it was funny because, you know, I'm, I'm doing this whole law school thing, but what I'm doing in my free time is focusing on what I had seen at the Forrest Gump restaurant and how it affected, um, you know, my view on what technology can do for the restaurant industry and the customers that visit it. So long story short, uh, I ended up meeting another great entrepreneur um, who is, you know, he's been in Forbes several times and we kind of collaborated on Captain. And um, one thing led to another and and the rest is history, so to speak, on where we are today. We kinda, we're kind of working on bringing an MVP to the restaurant industry that really enhances um, a restaurant business, business owner's ability to cut costs, increase revenue while keeping the customer at the forefront of what we're building. Uh, yeah. So a couple things. First thing, uh, I, at some of the bars that I frequent, I, I think we should put that run for us, run and stop for us, stop at the bar. So, you know, when they get, get to get a drink, um, right. right. Or when they should, they should flip it over and they should stop you. But <laughs> I, I think, and, and, and I think disruptive technology is what makes the news. But anytime that you have a disruptive technology, it always gets naysayers and, and, and folks that, you know, cause they're not comfortable with it. I remember when everybody's talking about toast going to the cloud and, and those, and those folks that have become the way of the dinosaur was going, Oh, the cloud, how can we, how are you going to manage the, the, that information in the cloud? Right. It was a liability there. And I think there's a lot of people looking at what you're trying to do is bring your own device and they're saying a, a similar thing. So help me, uh, help me dissuade those con uh, those controversies about bring your own device technology and explain it because I don't think we have yet uh, on how your point of sale system actually works. Absolutely. So change definitely always, you know, um, makes people ask a couple more questions than they normally would. Uh, and I think that's a good thing because if you're, if you're changing, you want to make sure you change in the right direction. And we've asked ourselves these questions multiple times and we keep coming to the same, you know, conclusion that BYOD is a necessary step. And basically what BYOD is, it's a lot less scary than it sounds. Uh, it's bring your own device. But what that really means is that we can put our software, um, the captain software on any device running iOS or Android. So if you wanna continue with your hardware dealer that you currently have, that is a complete option. But what BYOD does is it allows the option of, of buying a different set of hardware at a lower cost, or if you are, very into modern technology, actually putting it into the hardware that is in basically every one of your employees' pockets and allowing them to run your POS through their own device, much like Uber has been able to use a BYOD platform to have drivers use their own phone to drive people around. So BYOD is not a new concept. It's the new concept in the restaurant industry that we're trying to bring in to really help restaurants save on hardware costs. Yeah, and I know you're not... I know you and I have had some conversations that it, it virtually could be a zero cost startup for some, you know, a smaller restaurant, not a big restaurant, but a, a smaller person, independent restaurant trying to get started, you know, a counter service place. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. New restaurants coming in, um, you know, they, they don't know what their customer base is going to be. They, they're really using projections that they believe they're going to be the hotspot. Um, and you never really know, you know, you have to be honest with yourself and, and hope to keep costs as low as possible so that you can keep your run, runway to success as long as you can. And, and allowing for a zero cost POS option really extends that runway by sometimes $30,000 is what 
some POSs are charging, and I don't mean to use big numbers, but I just want to show how important PYOD can be to a startup restaurant. And it and it really offers all the safety and security that any POS offers right now. Yeah, some people are going to ask the question, if you're putting all that technology in, in, in the hands of uh, somebody else's phone, what kind of access they're going to have to information? So that is a, that's a great question. And um, I think a good example of that is, is your DoorDash delivery, right? So your DoorDash delivery person that, that picks up your um, order from Bertucci's or any restaurant um, and brings it to your door uh, doesn't have access to the money that is going to Bertucci's and doesn't have access to any information that they don't need to complete their job. And it, it really allows for a tunneling of information to get to the right people and the money to go from one bank account to another. Uh, if you look at, um, for example, the laws in Europe, you're not even allowed as a waiter to take a credit card away from a table. It has to be payment at the table. Now, in America, you can give your credit card to your server and they can take it to a back room and have it for five minutes completely out of your sight. A BYOD actually allows the customer to pay the restaurant directly without that server having any access to the numbers on your credit card or any financial information. So it's actually safer um, with a BYOD platform than it is currently. Uh, but explaining that and the change um, is usually you know, a good thing. It just takes a little time. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity opportunity to do so i know i, mean, I think those are the things that we got to get by right i mean you're looking for adoption and there there's there's going to be angst uh with the folks that are that, that kick the tires tires on this so i know you're early on in in in, in the in the process travis and i know that uh you know probably you're in the alpha stage right now yes yes we we got our alpha and beta sites uh ready to go we're working on bringing an mvp to those locations and uh we're pretty confident from the feedback we've got that we're on something and um, we continue to build on that every day, and uh, we're hoping for um, you know that to continue. Yeah, I know I've had the opportunity to spend some time with you to take a look at at, at the at the platform. It's really, really, really interesting, uh, and I think that there's going to be an opportunity for some folks that are you know kind of looking for something different, looking for the next step uh, in technology because this this floats out to the consumer too, right? It's not just it, it servers that, that can do BYOD; you actually can move it into the, the hands of the consumer and they can actually do the ordering online and payment online and all of the above, correct? Absolutely. It, it really actually leads to an increase in revenue for restaurants, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, we offer the option for a customer to dine traditionally, you know, with a server-led ordering process, um, but also for the customer-led ordering process. And when the customer-led ordering process occurs, you actually see an increase in apps and desserts ordering by a fold of 33%, um, up to 50% on the bottom line ticket. So uh, if you're looking at table turnover staying the same and a 50% revenue increasing, that's great. But also the fact that table turnover um, increased, you know, you can sit four tables during dinner instead of three tables during dinner. That's a 25% increase in revenue. And I don't mean to get too you know, too much statistics in there, but there's a, a lot of positivity to using. BYOD. Well, I mean, staffing right now, right? Just fa just the fact that you can have less people uh, attending to a, a customer uh, in this day and age is is a, is a win. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I think a couple studies just came out that 60% uh, of the labor shortage is due to retirement and early sure. retirement. And also, I think we uh, missed out on two million immigrants in the last four years um, that didn't come over that normally would have come over. So. We have about 5 million people out of the workforce that we 
would have otherwise had had a pandemic not occurred and and other policies not put in, put into place. Um, so long story short, you know that labor shortage isn't going away, and also with you know the monetary policies that we have going on, we want to be able to uh, pay our waiters a living wage and, and things like that, and allowing them to serve more tables, aka get more tips and larger tips per table with an increased revenue stream. Um, you'll be keeping your employees, and you won't need as many of them, so you'll have a, a better quality. And uh, I think that's better for everyone when we don't have enough. All right. So um, you freight train on the tracks. Uh, you know, I know that uh, the capital raise is coming for you guys. I know that you guys are hot to trot to get it out there. So should anybody want to communicate with you that is interested, that listens here? And believe me, we've got folks that are, we've got people that are early adopters to technology uh, in the Mass Restaurant Association for sure. Um, how would they how would they reach out to you, get in touch with you, or get in, in touch with Captain? And what's the best process for them? Absolutely, we're so early on that I, I'm, I'd be uh, you know happy to give you my cell number. Um, but you can also reach me on LinkedIn. Um, you can reach me at Travis Rafferty at joincaptain.com. Um, and uh, should I give my cell number here, or should we post it on the website, or uh, you think that's enough? You know what, Travis, it's, it's your world, man. Uh, if you want to throw your cell phone out there, All throw right. your cell phone out there. Go ahead. It's seven seven four two five eight one three six three. We've got a great team, and uh, we're really looking forward to improving the people, uh, you know, the lives of the people we work with. So, um, you know, any calls would be, uh, I'd be happy to. All take. right. So I'm putting it on the calendar right now. Seven years from now, we're coming back, and we're going to do why you're worth. Why you've got a fifteen billion dollar valuation, and uh, why the people that weren't smart enough to join in are. are, are <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I hope I have to change myself by that. <laughs> That's you a good know? point. Hey, listen, uh, happy new year. I know it's, uh, I know that uh, you get a lot going on. I wish you guys, you see nothing but success in the future. Carrie, I can, uh, I can say uh, how much I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much. You've been listening to together. We win the Massachusetts restaurant association podcast produced by the Massachusetts Restaurant Association in partnership with Image Unlimited Communications and Red 13 Studios. For more information on the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, please visit themassrest.org. Thank you. You've been listening to Together We Win, the MRA podcast. For any information on this podcast or any other episode, visit us at our website, themassrest.org.